Hey, what do you say we do it? Ozone time. Time to talk sports with the Ozone guys. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the house. The Ozone brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. If you're technologically inclined, you can reach us at ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. Coach Joe, the Detroit Tigers today fired GM Alavia. He was hired in 2015. They've only had one winning season since then. And the team was so inspired, they went out and lost their fourth straight today. So they've only had the last World Series was 1984 that they won. That's hard to believe. They've only had two since 1945, 68 and 84. But they have not named a permanent successor. They uh, last were in the World Series, what was it, 2014, I want to say. Sounds about right. They didn't win. That was back uh, when they had – they were – at the beginning of the 21st century, they were really bad. Remember Dave Dombrowski came along. Yes. And he turned them into a very respectable club. Uh, One of the ways of doing that was to pick up Miguel Cabrera, who, by the way, wants to keep playing. So it would be a shame for him to finish his – career he's been so good to the tigers all these years it would be a shame for him to play on a horrific team and they're an awful disappointment this year so i think uh, i've always said if you if you have a few bad games in a row it's uh, on the players if you have uh, a couple of bad seasons in a row it's on the uh, coaches but uh, (laughs) you have year after year after year through multiple coaches and so forth and you're still not going anywhere then it has to you have to look at the management and that's where we're at right now this is a move that probably had to be made especially with how disappointing they've been you got to fire somebody and you can't fire the the coaches (laughs) I mean the players so that's what they end up doing but you know you just hate to see that he he's a pretty nice guy I've met him on one occasion and uh Seemed like a very nice guy, but you know they're also in last place, seventeen games out. So it's not like they're going to go on a twenty-game winning streak and win the division. So I think they had to do something. Plus, their farm system's not all highly rated. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a surprise because it looked like they were going to rebuild by going mostly young, and especially with with promising young pitching, and it just isn't working out. Now, is that the GM's fault or is it bad luck, a combination of that? Uh, But if the problem is you're not developing, you've got young players, you're not developing them, so you don't have a very good roster and you don't have a very good farm system, uh, changing managers won't change that. Getting an extra player or two won't change that. You have to go, you have to look at the whole system and the GM's person running that, and that's where you have to start. Well, if the rest of the farm system had Zach Burek and Ron Meyer like we have here in Lakeland, I think they'd be a lot better because they are top-notch. You guys in Detroit, don't be taking those guys up there to Detroit now. I'm sure they would love to go. and It'd be a a nice promotion, but I'd hate to see them leave Lakeland. Zach is amazing, and he certainly would be worthy if they chose to have him do that. But uh, at the moment now, he's just incredibly value, important part of the Lakeland community, and uh, uh, we really appreciate the job that he does and uh, how great an experience it is if you go watch the Tigers or the Flying Tigers over there at Joker Marchant. So uh, it'd be be better for us if he stuck around, but we'll see what happens. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, the Yankees looked like they were going to run off and hide from everybody, but they've lost two in a row. 
They've only won two of their last ten, but they still have a ten-game lead over the Blue Jays, and the Rays are 12 games back. My Red Sox have anchored down into last place at 17 games out. And uh, one of my childhood heroes, Billy Monbouquet, who was a pitcher back when I was a Red Sox fan back in the early 60s, you know, you had to root for individual players because the team wasn't good and you knew they weren't going to be good. And Monbouquet was the only good pitcher they had back then. And uh, today is the anniversary of him passing away back in 2015. But he was always one of the guys that I really followed. And uh, the Red Sox, I think their season can rest in peace as well. Well, the Yankees got off to a terrific start, so being having a little bit of a rough patch won't won't hurt them. Aaron Judge uh, is putting together an amazing season, uh, possibly a historic one. He could end up uh, hitting more home runs than Roger Maris did. Not likely to catch Barry Bonds, who has that uh, steroid-inflated number of 73. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what team do you think Judge will own next year? Yeah, <laughs> he's he's in good shape, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, Which yeah, he'd like is. to be his agent, right? <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a break, and we come back. We're going to have Sean Kelly, voice of the Gators, who succeeded McHubert. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. This is Steve Tannen former Florida Gator All-American and New York Jet. You are listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Ozone. Oh, yeah. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. It's our distinct pleasure to have with us Sean Kelly, the brand-new voice of the Florida Gators. And I tell you what, this is a job that doesn't change very often. He's only the fourth announcer in 82 years. Sean, welcome to the Ozone with Ronnie O, and uh, welcome to the Gator Network. Thank you. I'm honored. Great to be with you all. Well, the Florida Gators, is, as I look back over your biography, you've been at Tulane. Uh, my first Gator game was in 1960, and Tulane was still in the SEC, and they had a guy named Tommy Mason and I uh, see so you've been with the New Orleans Pelicans, ESPN Radio, and you have done some Gator games in the past. What was your impression of the Florida fan base when you did the Miami and the LSU games? Well, the Miami game was great. It, it, as a matter of fact, it was my first game as the lead announcer for college football on ESPN Radio, and it was in Orlando. I, the first thing that comes to mind is it was the start of the season – so I can't remember maybe a hotter football game that I've called <laughs> in Orlando. Uh, but it was a very entertaining game. Uh, Felipe Franks was trying to figure things out. Uh, Miami was uh, in, the, in this transition that seemingly never ends for the Hurricanes right now. Um, and so, you know, great fan base. Obviously, being in Orlando, we were able to draw people into that building, obviously from Gator Nation, but also, you know, Miami's fan base, too. And then I had the, the Gators on two other occasions uh, during my ESPN radio run, one of which was in the pandemic that I called from my house. And if that wasn't strange enough, that was the game where the fog settled in and Florida ends up throwing a shoe. And, yes. you know, it always <laughs> seems like something crazy happens when LSU and Florida play. And then, uh, let's see, most recently, I guess last year, I had Florida at LSU in a game where uh, nobody could stop anybody. LSU seemingly with Ed Ogeron already out the door, 
um, finds a way to win 49 to 42. And Florida, who probably should have come in and smoked the Tigers, uh, just couldn't get it together. And as it turned out, it was probably the start of the end for the Dan Mullen area here in Gainesville. So I, seemingly I've had this taste of the loony uh, when it comes to games I've had involving Florida. But strangely enough, I have yet to do a game at the Swamp. So September 3rd will be my first. <laughs> Sean, you've been an announcer on a national scale. Why UF? What what about UF attracted you to this job? Several things. One, let's just start with UF in that I would I would place Florida, and this is really, if we're speaking to the entire operation, the entire athletic department, I'd place Florida basically somewhere you know in that top five of the collegiate properties. It's national brand, uh, you know, academically the work that's been done now to to bring them into being a, a top five university academically on the public side of the ledger. Um, great community, you know, just a passionate fan base. And most of my career has has been with a team, voice of said team, uh, you know, member of that community. Uh, and so I, I miss that in a lot of ways. I like wearing the colors. Um, I like being invested in a particular team's journey. Uh, but at the same time, I, I was not ready to leave ESPN Radio. I was negotiating my next contract with them. Uh, you know, I was working multiple sports, big games. Everything was going great, um, but there was something about Florida. There was a draw there, and I don't want to say they made an offer I couldn't refuse, but their, their offer and what it would mean for me and my family long term uh, was just too attractive, you know, not to say yes. Uh, and so that's made it very exciting for me in that it feels like, you know, if, we, if we're being spiritual for a moment, if you, if you pray for – the doors to be closed that need to be closed and the doors that need to be opened, opened, uh, the doors were flying off the hinges. And so <laughs> in this sense, it was, uh, yes, I'm listening. I think this is where I need to be, uh, you know, long-term for the next phase of my career. Now, how would you classify yourself? Will you be a homer? Will you be neutral? How will your broadcast come off? I don't think there's any doubt that someone who turns on a Florida broadcast here in the coming days will will not know that it's a Florida broadcast. I mean, it, this is for Gator Nation. This will be a Florida broadcast. I, I am not, though, a homer in the sense that every call, you know, seemingly goes against the Gators, uh, that no opponent is to be respected in the same way that the Gators are. Uh, and perhaps, you know, that, that first down gained on a – third and four carry in the second quarter of week three is not going to sound like game seven of the world series. So in that sense, that's kind of my style. It'll be, uh, it'll lean Florida. It'll be a Florida broadcast, but at the same time, it won't be a fanatical, uh, unrealistic (laughs) um, Gator fest. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Well, Mick Hubert had his tagline. Oh my. Does Sean Kelly have a tagline? No, I really don't. There's probably things that I say more than others, and I can't even put my finger on that. But I think as we progress here, you know, in my in my career as the voice of the Gators, I think people will point out, oh, that's something he leans on or that's something that seems to come up when big moments arise. But as far as a, a signature phrase, I, I don't really have one. It's, I don't know if it's 
just not been my style or I've, I haven't had one that sticks. Um, I, you know, look, we all borrow, right? So I probably borrow phrases that, you know, others have used over the years, but I don't have a, a signature phrase per se. Sean, you mentioned respecting opponents. I don't think that the Utah football team that's coming into Gainesville September 3rd is getting the respect, in, at least in the state of Florida, that they deserve. How do you feel about that game? Well, if they're not being respected here in the state of Florida, they're not paying attention. Um, I've been doing some research. Here's one for you, okay? So if you're looking at betting lines, the numbers or the, the tracking of lines for games, and I'm talking about favorite versus underdog, it goes back to about 1978. Before that, it's hard to find those qualifiers. So I've been trying to research this here lately. I, the, the, the first question I asked was, when was the last time that Florida opened their home schedule as an underdog? Okay. Well, one thing led to another, and through the research, basically it has never happened if we go back to 1978. Florida oh has gosh. never opened their home schedule at home as an underdog in the – in the modern era, let's just call it that. So in that sense, this is rare and unique. Utah just came off of their first conference championship. Yes, they lost a lot, but they have continuity in their coaching staff. This is a powerful team that is already ranked eight in the coaches poll. We'll know soon about the AP poll, but they're going to be favored when they come to the swamp on September the 3rd. So if we're not respecting that opponent here in the state of Florida, then I think we're being very short-sighted. Florida's going in. They're going to be an underdog. Now, the positives are through the roof. If Billy Napier comes out and takes advantage of being in the swamp Labor Day weekend at home on a steamy night, it's, it, it's massive for his program. It's massive for the morale of the state and the fan base, and you're probably a top 25 team going into week two against Kentucky. Um, this is a real opponent. This is not the opponent that you start a new coaching tenure with, but yet this is what the schedule has presented us. No doubt about it. Six of the first seven games are at home, but that means that when you go to the second half of the schedule, you're going to pay for that. Yeah, yes and no. I've, I've never seen a schedule like this. Um, you mentioned the, the front-loaded home-heavy schedule, but look, your other two quote-unquote road games, I mean, you're going to Jacksonville, that's a road game, per se. And, and Thanksgiving weekend, you're driving two hours to take on that school up in Tallahassee. And so, in that sense, your true road games end up being what? Tennessee, Texas A&M, Vanderbilt. I, I can't ever think that I've seen a Power 5 football schedule that is as home-friendly or travel-friendly as what the Gators have in front of them this year. <laughs> the only problem is in October you get LSU a week off, then you play Georgia and Texas A&M in succession. That's a murderer's row. I didn't say I didn't say it was going to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if we're just going off the coaches' poll, I think I think half the schedule's already ranked preseason. So yeah, none of this is going to be easy. I'm just saying, from a home versus road standpoint, it is um, it's unique. You know, I think most of the people that have diagnosed the Gators have said that their starting 22 are pretty good. And a lot of it hinges on 
at number 15, Anthony Richardson. What have you seen of Anthony Richardson? Give us a scouting report on him. Well, let's just start with the fact that he's healthy, okay? So last year, Anthony is not only splitting time at quarterback, but he's really never fully healthy during the season. And when he flashed, he really flashed. Uh, and then there were times where you'd scratch your head a little bit. And so I think that, you know, the, the jury, let's cliche this, the jury is still out on Anthony. Um, but, look, when the guy gets off the bus, he looks great, doesn't he? I mean, he checks so many boxes. He has uh, a lightning quick release. He can throw the heck out of the football and maybe sometimes too hard on certain routes. And he can certainly beat you with his feet. He's not an easy one to bring down for sure. And, look, just like most teams, as the quarterback goes, the team goes, I do think at least at this point, and especially with the new head coach and everything else, it might be a little, uh, I think, not naive, the word I'm looking for here. I don't want to put it all on 15 shoulders just yet. Look, there's no doubt. He has to be good for them to be good. Uh, but at the same time, I think there are some other tools that Billy Napier will have uh, that can serve Florida well and kind of make them sneaky. They're going to fly under the radar here a little bit, maybe not if they beat Utah week one, but this is a team that can fly under the radar just a little bit. And uh, I think if fans are patient and enjoy some of the early moments, it, it could be pretty good. You've obviously had an opportunity to meet Billy Napier and Todd Golden. Give us your impression of the Gators' two new coaches. Boy, do I have this unique opportunity or what? I mean, I get to come in as the new guy and watch these two build their programs from the ground up. It's, it's rather unique. It's pretty exciting. Um, I did get to watch Billy from afar uh, living in Louisiana and, and him building his career as a head coach at, at Lafayette. So I'm very aware of how detail-oriented he is. Uh, he is a very good CEO, but yet also hands-on. He has assembled an all-star staff in my eyes, um, and he has – earned a reputation, rightfully so, of developing not only what he has in hand, but also perhaps taking, you know, as he did Lafayette, let's say he gets a two- or three-star recruit, but by the time he's done with them, they perhaps might be NFL-ready. Ready, or if we were re-rate, you know, re-rating the class, they might be, end up being a four-star. And so I think that if he can mix that with, uh, now there's new resources and the ability to attract a higher caliber player, then that will serve him well. So um, I love the discipline that he's instilled. He's a culture guy uh, and, and the idea of family. And I know this is probably overused a little bit, but that's important to him. I think that will translate well and will give Florida a much different look than say they've had in the last four, five, six years. Uh, Todd Golden is, uh, is to me, Maybe a young Brad Stevens, and that'd be just fine. And that would work out very well for Florida. I think that Todd has to avoid trying to be Billy Donovan in some way, just to be himself, though. And uh, he's a heavy analytics guy who I think can find diamonds in the rough and also develop guys, too. So a sneaky good hire, obviously, in Todd Golden for Scott Strickland, a Billy Napier hire in that Billy Napier had placed himself into the category of choosy, meaning that Billy got to be choosy about where he would end up going. And so if you can attract the guy that gets to pick, um, it ends up being, I think, a, a swing and, a, and at least an extra base hit. We'll see if it's a home run. 
Sean, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man. We're looking forward to having your calls right here in Lakeland. We carry the games on WONN 107.1, and we are looking forward to it. I not only look forward to it, but I look forward to getting down to Lakeland here at some point, too, to see you all in person. Thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to the season. Go Gators. All right, go Gators. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. It's our distinct pleasure to have with us Jeff Colhane, the new voice of the Florida State Seminoles, replacing the legendary Gene Deckerhoff. Jeff, do you feel any pressure following a legend like Gene Deckerhoff? Well, first of all, great to be on with you, uh, Ron. Uh, you know, I think there's there's certainly a high level of expectation, uh, for sure, because of uh, Gene's excellence, his longevity. You know, I joke with Gene when I first first talked to him. I said, you know, Gene, he could have been the voice of the Knowles for maybe 15, 20 years, not 43 and 48. <laughs> basketball that make it a little easier on the new get the next guy right but you know i i I don't i don't feel a pressure uh ron i feel an excitement you know i feel uh just you know it's a dream come true to have the chance to you know to to follow up a guy like gene and so um there's no way i'm going to fill his shoes there's no chance but all i can do is really grow into my own and and see where that path takes everybody and takes no fans in the years to come well, I noticed that you had done North Dakota State Bison football, and uh, that is a really passionate fan base. And there's actually a connection to Florida State. Daryl Mudra was the coach that preceded Bobby Bowden, and he won yep. two national championships at North Dakota State. Now, at Florida State, he only won four games in two years, and they don't speak too highly of him there, but there is a connection. Uh, you know, I was aware of that, uh, actually, and, and talked about that. Uh, during some of my my conversations with the folks here at Florida State, when we were discussing the the opportunity and the job, and yeah, you're right. Uh, I don't I don't think many talk about the Mudry years here in Tallahassee, but for <laughs> NDSU fans, he was the guy that that really started the the era of excellence back in the mid '60s in 1965. And you know, North Dakota State football has won 17 national championships combined between D2 and the FCS era, and it all began. Uh, with Daryl Mudra, and I'll, I'll take one, you know, one step, you know, further from a connection of mine. You know, Chris Kleiman is the head coach at Kansas State right now. He was the head coach when I first began at NDSU. Daryl Mudra coached Chris Kleiman at Northern Iowa in the late 1980s when he played there, and so it's amazing what kind of connections you can find in the world of college football and college athletics. But you're right. Uh, there's one between Florida State and NDSU back in the day. My goodness. Well, I know you've been in Nebraska. You've been in West Virginia. And those are certainly some passionate fan bases. And I, I imagine you've seen a pretty passionate fan base there in Tallahassee. There's no question. And, you know, Ron, the, the goal for me as a play-by-play announcer and as a broadcaster has always been to be at places where it just, you know, quite simply put, it matters. And, you know, everybody wakes up in the morning and they're wondering what's going on at fall camp or it's a Monday morning and everybody's mental health is at an all-time high after a great win or, or everybody is sharing in the misery together of, you know, a tough, a tough Saturday or a tough defeat during the fall. And so being able to be in places like Nebraska and West Virginia where, you know, those are states where those 
those teams and those schools are the only show in the state or the only show in town, you know, has been great experience for me. And then obviously uh, on a, on a smaller scale, but certainly with the same vigor and same energy at NDSU, uh, you, we had that as well uh, during my six years there with a chance to call four national championships at North Dakota state. And, um, already been able to connect with the fans uh, quite a bit out and about here in Tallahassee on social media through some of the different practice recaps we've done on camera and the podcast we've started. And I, I can't thank the fans enough. They've been so welcoming. They've been amazing. They've been great. And uh, looking forward to continuing to get to know so many Knowles fans around the state. Well, as the great John Madden once said, winning is the best deodorant. What what do you sense amongst the uh, Florida State fan base? You know, I know they're you know they've won three national championships. They're hungry to get back to that level, and it hadn't been that way the last few years. Uh, how much patience is there right now up there? Well, I think there's excitement and anticipation. You know, uh, patience is the key key term in your question. I don't know if fans ever have a whole lot of patience, right? <laughs> Whether it's coming off a national championship season um, or a tough couple of years like we've seen here as of late. You know, what I can tell you is is there is a, a strong level of belief from top to bottom at Florida State University inside the Moore Center with what Mike Norvell is doing right now. And there's a belief within the locker room as well about the culture that's being instilled about Coach's passion, about his vision for how he wants to bring this program back to where it's expected to go and where it deserves to go. And nobody wants it to go back any more than Mike Norvell does. I can promise you that. And so he's, he's got a great coaching staff. It's year three now. And, you know, he come in during COVID, and I think that really stunts a lot of things. It, made, it makes things tough for a new head coach to get his culture instilled and to get his message across and his vision established. And I think where – we're seeing the, the corner, the, the light at the end of the tunnel in a lot of ways. Is this team going to win a national championship this year? No, I'm not going to predict that right now, uh, certainly. But they know how they want to play. I feel like they've addressed their needs in the transfer portal and recruiting with some positions of need from last year's squad that finished 5-7. and seven. And uh, really looking forward to getting this thing going August 27th with Duquesne coming to town. You know, you mentioned Duquesne. Florida State opens with Duquesne. LSU's first game is against the Knowles in New Orleans, which is essentially a home game for them. But how much of an advantage do you think that is for Florida State to be able to work the kinks out against a team like Duquesne before they have to step up with LSU? Well, Ron, and I want to remind everybody again, August 27th, that first game versus Duquesne. There's a lot of people out there that think they're just talking about New Orleans, right, and LSU. We <laughs> want to see Joe Pack. August 27th, folks. Mark it down. Circle it. Circle it three times and guard it. Um, but, I, yeah, I think there there is, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other in, in a lot of instances when you talk about that or answer that question. I think it's good to have a game under your belt to work out some of the kinks. Obviously, you don't have to – go into detail about the difference in the opponent from Duquesne, who is a quality team, a quality program in the FCS, but they are obviously not LSU. You know, I'd be more interested, Ron, in in what people are saying about on the LSU side with the new head coach and Brian Kelly, new coaching staff, and that dynamic of them having to play their first game in a setting like the Superdome 
as they've got a ton of new players and pieces uh, on their end as well. And so uh, I'm interested to, to see what LSU looks like, but I think you play one no matter who the opponent is. It gives you a little film. There's a lot of teachable moments in game number one, and you certainly have to be ready to step things up to another level on uh, on that Sunday of Labor Day weekend. Well, and you bring up a great point. I mean, all you have to say are two words, Jacksonville State. And uh, you look at Appalachian State, the, the big upset they pulled at Michigan, the Gators losing to uh, Georgia Southern. It can happen, and you, you better be ready every Saturday because everybody's got some talent. And uh, let's talk a little bit more about the schedule. At Clemson, at Miami. I mean, at Clemson, that's a handful. Well, you know, actually, we got Clemson at home this year. Oh, which do is you? Nice. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm wrong. I hope the ACC is not making us play them two years in a row. <laughs> I apologize. I have, call, I have to call Jim Phillips up and say, "What's the deal with that, man?" Still but, no piece of cake, uh, though. Huh? Yeah, no, it's a tough schedule. It, it really is. And you, you talk about LSU. Look, I would even point to Ron. I point to that Louisville on a Friday night in the ACC opener as a massive game in the middle of September. Uh, Wake Forest. And Boston College have two tremendous quarterbacks as well that the defenses are going to see, although I saw today that Sam Hartman is out for an indefinite time with a non-football-related injury, and so we hope all the best for his health and for you know his condition with what he's dealing with right now. But, yeah, I mean, LSU at Louisville, Wake Forest here at NC State, Clemson here, that's all before the bye week. I mean, that is – you're going to know a lot about this football team through seven games through mid-October. And then on the back end, you go to Miami, always a, an emotional uh, rivalry game type feel. I would even tell you Louisiana is a team you can't look by. Uh, the Raging Cajuns with what they've done over the last few years and the game versus the boys in Gainesville, uh, you know, it speaks for itself. So it, there's, no, there's not a ton of freebies here, and so this team is going to be battle-tested. They will earn every victory that comes their way in 2022. Jeff, give us an idea of your style. Will you be a homer? Will you be neutral? Uh, how will you go about your broadcast? Well, you know, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to be passionate. I'm going to bring a lot of injury uh, energy. Excuse me. Hopefully I don't <laughs> injure myself in the booth, uh, with that energy. Uh, easy for me to say, right? But, you know, I think – you're certainly going to feel a homer-type um, uh, call from a standpoint of, look, I want Florida State to win every single game they play. I want them to win every game. If they can win 80 to nothing, it would be fantastic. I'm, I'm like the fans. I want to see a high level of success. I realize that's not how everything works. But, you know, I, I want to give the credit where credit is due. Uh, I want to give the opponent the credit where credit is due. But you're going to hear someone that's going to bring the energy for the Doles, much like Gene did during his time calling Florida State football for 43 years and men's basketball for 48 years. So um, I hope you hear I hope you hear some fun. You know, I'm looking forward to working with Bar Nunn, William Floyd, and Tom Block, two guys that the fans know and, and love and enjoy their analysis and, and what they do on the radio broadcast. And I can't wait to get it going on August 27th. Well, tell us about Jordan Travis. You know, with his mobility, he brings a lot to that offense. Well, I think he is a dynamic player, and the big thing with Jordan is can he stay healthy? Uh, how, do, how do we keep this guy upright? Because he is doing some things in fall camp right now 
that are very, very impressive. We know about his capability with his legs as the all-time leader in rushing yards for a quarterback and also the season leader for rushing yards for a quarterback. We know what he can do there. we got to keep this guy healthy, Ron, and we gotta keep uh, got to keep Jordan on the field. His throwing ability, his accuracy, his consistency, they have all improved. You can tell that he has worked with Mike Norvell and first-year quarterbacks coach Tony Tokars on, on a lot of those things, staying in the pocket, going through his progression, and, and doing what he can to distribute the football to a great group of receivers, and obviously the running backs are in the mix of the passing game as well. Look, I'm not saying Jordan Travis should be considered a Heisman candidate or anything like that, but if he can stay healthy and he can be on the field for all 12 games this season, he is going to be a problem for opposing defenses uh, on this schedule. You mentioned the wide receivers, and I know that a lot of drop passes occurred last year, but through the transfer portal they've added Micah Pittman from Oregon and Johnny Wilson from Arizona. What do those two guys bring to the offense? Well, they bring a lot, and just saw those two guys made a ton of plays in fall camp earlier this week. Ironically enough, Micah Pittman and Johnny Wilson were high school teammates in Calabasas, uh, in Calabasas, California, before going their own ways, and now back together at Florida State here in Tallahassee. Micah's your slot guy who is, who is that quick-twitch, smaller, uh, versatile guy that can get involved in the return game. He can hand the ball off to him, and he's a physical player for his size. And look, Johnny Wilson at six feet seven inches, two hundred and thirty-five pounds, is a matchup nightmare when it comes to the red zone. When it comes to back shoulder throws down the sidelines, he's going to go up and high point the football. You can Ryan literally put the ball ten feet in the air as if you were going to go dunk a basketball. He's going to go up there and get it and make a play. You're going to hear those two called a lot. Their names called a lot this fall with Micah Pittman and uh, Johnny Wilson, guys that know each other very well from their time playing high school football together. How would you categorize the strength of the defense, Jeff? Well, to me, it starts in the secondary, and I think the secondary is loaded. I think they're so deep. You start with Jamie Robinson, who has a chance to be an All-American this year and is going to be a guy we hear his name called when he decides to enter the NFL draft. Uh, You have so many names back there, veteran, returning, and some newcomers, you know, uh, guys like, uh, Sam McCall, and then also uh, Azaria Thomas as well. You know, Sam, a guy from your neck of the woods in Lakeland, Florida, Lake Gibson High School that fans know that are listening to this right now as we talk. And um, very, very deep and very athletic and fast in the back end. And you're trying to replace guys like Jermaine Johnson here, Thomas at defensive ends. You go get the quarterback. Jared Verse, Derek McClendon, Dennis Briggs are all going to try and do that in a committee-like fashion. And I'll give you a name that I've been impressed with in fall camp, Ron. Central Florida transfer Tatum Bethune at linebacker, who is a Buckus Award watch list guy. This guy has a nose for the football and is able to, to attack and make plays all over the field. He wears number 15 for the Knowles. Tatum Bethune is a guy to keep your eye on a linebacker this year for this FSU defense. Jeff, we really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man, and we're certainly looking forward to having your calls on right here on WLKF 96.7 in Lakeland. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Anytime. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, Knowles fans. This is Jeff Colhay, the new voice of the Seminoles. You are listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on WLKF, Polk County's home of Seminole football. You got it. 
Hey, let's get back to more of the Ozone. Talk Radio 96.7. The Ozone, brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. I know you're hungry and thirsty, so here you go. If you haven't won the last six months, give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Here's what we want to know on our quiz to win a $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. Who has won the most NBA championships? Is it A, Michael Jordan, B, LeBron James, or C, Bill Russell? 682-1430, give us a call, and you could be going out to the Ale House and eating and drinking $30 worth on us. Coach Joe and I just might be out there. You never know. We go out there frequently and the food is awesome. They're located at 5650 South Florida Avenue. They've got 40 strategically located television sets. You can watch your favorite sporting event from anywhere in the restaurant. we got somebody that's hungry and thirsty already, Coach Joe. Uh, no, no surprise there. It's a, it's a great question, uh, and I'll tell you why. If I tell you now, I'll give away the answer and let our caller win on his own right first. And then after we give that food away, you'll see why. That was a great question for tonight's show. In the meantime, I want to thank uh, Sean Kelly and Jeff Colhane. Nice work on those interviews, Ronnie. Those were on tape from yesterday. Sorry I couldn't join you for those, but uh, uh, they they sounded great. And uh, we'll welcome Paul to the Ozone, see if he can win that $30. It's Randy. Randy, how are you tonight? Randy, I'm doing all right, guys. How y'all doing? Fantastic. I'm going for Bill Russell. You're exactly right. Do you know how many he won? Oh, man, it was back when Boston, the Celts won every year. Uh, what was it, maybe seven? He won eight know. in a row and 11 out of 13. Wow. He was the first black head coach in any major sport, and he won back-to-back as a head player head player coach. Yeah, they were super. John Havlicek, uh, I think he was on that team, wasn't he? Who he was on was some of those teams, him? yeah. He had Bob Cousy. Um, uh, Frank Ramsey were on some of the early teams that he played on. And um, we also had a guy on last week, Bailey Howell, that played with him in the later oh, yeah. parts of the Celtic um, dynasty. And Bailey Howell's son-in-law is Scott Strickland, the Gators athletic director. Wow. Now, do you remember Dave Cowan? Yes, I do. Florida State, the big redhead, left-hander. Yeah. I saw him play in Lakeland uh, and uh, against Florida Southern. That was when they played them every year. And my my brother-in-law, Bob Dennis, he played for them. He scored like uh, 26 points in Tully Jim against against him. But, uh, yeah, those were the good old days, uh, sure enough. I saw Rick Berry play um, for Miami. It was back when they played at the Lakeland High School gym before they built the line on Florida Southern campus. That was like 59, 60, something like that, with Harold Jerton, my neighbor, took me to the game. Wow. Uh, we've had some big big players come through there. Did he but shoot anyway, the free throws granny style back then? You know, I can't remember that. I don't remember that well. Uh, I imagine he did. I saw his son do that. Yeah, Canyon you know, played the for the Gators. Yeah, did you see the Gators play here in town about – during the pandemic, I guess, about three or four years ago. Uh, yeah, was, no, I didn't. They I played, did and, uh, yeah, he was doing, He was a good player, too. Yeah, he was. Randy, hang on the line, and we'll get right, your sir. information out there. All right. 
to the okay. alehouse, and you can go out there and eat and drink $30 worth on us. Uh, I know oh, you've yeah, won before. I have, yeah, but it's been six months at least, probably more. <laughs> oh, congratulations. Thank you, my friend. Have a good day. All right. Thanks. Well done, Randy, who wins the sports quiz tonight, uh, knowing that Bill Russell has won uh, the most championships among a, uh, any player in NBA history. You know, and be, because of that, among other reasons, because he was a great leader, one of the, the first uh, black head coach in NBA history as well, and uh, his great example throughout the years, the NBA has announced that the number six will be retired by all teams in the NBA in honor of the number six that Bill Russell wore during his <coughs> NBA career with the Celtics. So so it's a, a good time to recognize him. We know he died last week. We had Bailey Howell on who told us some amazing stories about his experiences as Bill <coughs> Russell's teammate. And now the NBA acknowledging the greatness of Bill Russell by retiring his number throughout the league. You know, I hate to see that. I mean – Lakers certainly are not going to want to retire Bill Russell's number, just like the Giants. LeBron's wearing it now. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the Giants are not going to want to retire uh, Jackie Robinson's number. I don't like retiring any jerseys. To me, you put it up on the wall or you put it in the rafters, but you don't retire it. The Yankees don't have anything left between one and ten, and all of those numbers have been retired by the Yankees. So. You know, it's just one of those things, just my opinion. Don't know if I'm right or wrong, but we'll be back next week, and hopefully we'll have some great interviews for you next week, and they might even be live.